Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Good morning, church. It's great to see you here giving this time to the Lord, seeking Him, wanting to lift up praise uh, to the Lord. I know it's not always easy to, to get to, to church, and I just am encouraged every person that I see who makes that effort to come and to give this time to the Lord. So welcome here. I want to um, uh, encourage you to open your Bibles. We're on our, our Ten Commandments series. We're talking about having the Lord as Lord of every aspect of our lives. We're on to the Seventh Commandment. So I'm going to read Exodus 20, verse 14. But then what's going to happen is I'm going to switch forward to Matthew 5 where Jesus is talking about the same commandment at Matthew 5, 27 to 30. So as we turn to the scriptures, let's take a minute and turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our prayer and our singular need is that with this time, Lord, that you would open up your word to us and that you would open us up to your word so that we can hear from you and know you and trust you. In Jesus' name, and the people said, amen. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. And then at Matthew 5, Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. And we're grateful. Well, I have uh, figured out the one job in America that requires more patience than any other job. Do you want to take a guess what it is? Mom. Somebody else said that earlier. Yep, that's a pretty good guess. I don't, but I don't know anything about that. So take another guess. <laughs> now this is it. It's the, uh, it's the goldfish dippers at the pet store. This is it. <laughs> Listen to me now. I mean, this requires more patience than any other job that I've seen. Uh, we've got an aquarium in our house again now, which means regular trips to the pet store to buy slash replace these little swimming friends, and, um, and I'm just impressed. Every time I'm there, I can't believe how, how patient these, these workers are around the aquariums. Is armed with a little bucket of water and that little net, you know. They follow these kids around from aquarium to aquarium, just waiting for them to figure out which fish they want. Is this the one you want? No, no. Oh, that one? Okay. How about this one over here? No, absolutely not. And then finally, <laughs> when, they, uh, <laughs> when they decide on, on, on one, they don't pick a type of fish. They pick a particular fish, right? So no, not that one, the one that's swimming around here and behind, no, the cute one that's behind the rock, not that, so this guy has to kind of, you know. And I just can't believe the patience. I mean, I would lose it. I would not be able to do that job. I mean, I would take that net and say, now listen, Kit. The net goes in the water. Whatever fish pops out of the water, that's your next goldfish. So love it or leave it. 
you know, if you need a job to exercise your patient's muscles, these goldfish dippers are the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of patients, let me tell you. But there they are, patiently guiding. Is this what you want? Is this what you want? Friends, Jesus, he's, he's like that with us. He's Lord of our desires, and he patiently guides us. He patiently leads us. Is this what you want? Is this what you're after? The Lord, he actually makes a claim over our desires, over what we want, and he cares for them. Jesus is Lord of my desires. Your desires can pull you in all sorts of directions. Our, our culture uh, sets no limits to love. It, it kind of says love is, has become kind of a God that we, we need to, to bow down to in a way. Whatever desires we have for love, they're part of our identity. And in and, and our culture, we say they must be respected by all. They must be uh, honored by all, no matter where those desires may lead. But God claims an authority even over our innermost desires. And that's very good news because only God knows what will truly satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. You see, tell me if I'm wrong, but it isn't so much that I want my desires. You and I, we, it's not so much that we want our desires affirmed. What we truly want is we want our desires fulfilled. We want to be satisfied. I want to be a whole person. I want to be at peace. I want to love and to be loved and to be fully at home in my own skin, and my own body. Only the God who made you knows how to get you to that kind of peace. Only the God who created you truly knows how to satisfy your deepest desires. And patiently the Lord guides us Lovingly, he leads us to what we truly need. And he does this when we allow him, when we recognize him, when we honor him, when we follow him, we allow him to be Lord of our desires. But that's something sometimes we don't do. We're talking about adultery here. Friends, you knew this was coming. (laughs) I mean, it's the seventh, right? And we did six. So you knew this was coming this morning. And we're talking about adultery here. The seventh commandment. It says in Exodus 20 verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Now, don't worry. This is an all ages sermon. Uh, You don't need to run to the doors, at least not for the kids' sake. But this is a challenge. So just to define term, God comes out and he says, don't commit adultery. The seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. Well, what's adultery? As the Bible uses and defines that term adultery, this is what it means. Adultery is when someone engages in physical intimacy with a person who is not their spouse. That's the cleanest term. That's adultery. So by this commandment, which again is just two words in Hebrew, don't adultery. I mean, it's just... By this commandment, by this statement that God makes to his people, in fact, by this one word, adultery, God is defining in in a negative sense, he's defining negatively what he has already defined and already given as a gift. Positively, God is showing us, he's putting on display marriage. Marriage. 
People in the ancient world, just like in every time and every age, had all kinds of patterns for intimacy. And I'm not going to go into to all of that. I just want you to know that there's nothing new under the sun in this area. When you get into these contemporary discussions where people start talking about, well, there's new ideas, there's new ways, new awareness, new intimacy, new human needs, there's nothing new here. People have always in all times found all kinds of ways to to use their bodies to give and to receive love. And God's way has always been a departure. It has always been a special and particular and distinct way of life. It has been a departure from the common ways, a distinct way of life from what the world expects and sometimes even encourages. So what is, what is God's way then? Well, it begins with the creation narrative. You remember God at the beginning he made all things and, and he made Adam. Or really, if you're studying this very carefully, you would, you would recognize that he's not called Adam until the next chapter. In this chapter, he's, made, he's Adamah. He's the mud person that God, that God gave breath into his nostrils and brought life to him. And there he is, Adam, in the garden, and God declares what is patently obvious for all to see, this guy can't make it on his own. <laughs> no, sir. It is no good for this one to be alone. And so what does God do? God takes uh, Adam and, and he puts him to sleep. He takes this, this, this person and he puts him to sleep. He puts him uh, to almost to back into non-being, almost to death. And he begins again and he, he takes from the side of this person and he creates Eve. And now Adam and God, they're satisfied. And Adam is able to say, at last, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And God is able to say, here, I have made another in my image. Male and female, I have made them in my image. And then we get Genesis 2.24, the quintessential marriage verse, Genesis 2.24, and it says, that is why, all of this is why, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, when I say that's the quintessential marriage verse, that verse comes up again and again straight through the scriptures from Genesis all the way through, through the prophets, through the Old Testament. It it shows up in Paul's letters and then Jesus himself quotes it in the Gospels. This is the verse to define what marriage is. This is God's way. One man and one woman in a covenant of marriage enjoying the joy of physical intimacy within the bounds of that covenant. Every time in scriptures that something else is attempted, every time that something else is tried, there's, there's just horrible results. Horrible damage comes, horrible pain. So this is God's way. And that's the definition of adultery. What God is saying in the seventh commandment is he's saying this gift that I've given you, marriage, this is a gift that I've given you. He says, use this gift in the way that I have created it for you. The old illustration is um, the, the fireplace in the home. Fire is a wonderful thing. Fire is a, a beautiful thing. It brings light, it brings warmth, it brings health. But when that fire, that fire is only a good thing in your home, so long as it's, where? 
in the fireplace. And once it jumps the bounds, there are no limits to the destruction that it can cause. The seventh commandment tells us adultery is jumping those bounds. Adultery is leaping over that fence and the destruction is unmeasurable. God called his people to a covenant of marriage, a different way of life. Even when their own desires, when their cultural expectations, when the moral norms of the countries and places where they had come from were all different from that, God stepped forward and said, here's my gift, one man and one woman and a covenant of marriage to enjoy physical intimacy with one another. Now, people started to get the idea that if they could pull that off, if they could make that work, if they could make that happen in their lives, they started to get the idea that they had the seventh commandment in the bag. And then came Jesus. See, friends, we can get, we can get very ugly in this area with one another. We can get so smug, so, so prim, when our lives fit together easily in, the, in God's pattern when our lives have have come together in such a way, should there really be a sense of superiority? We who who are married, we whose lives have have fit into this model like a square peg in a square hole and our inclinations were, were balanced in the right direction and we fell in love with the right person. We made a covenant of marriage and we've held on to that and nothing has come about to tear that apart or to blow that all to pieces. Should we really carry with us a smug sense of superiority over others whose lives have just not worked out that way. Jesus comes along and he says, he brings us, takes us all to task. And he says, in effect, just because you're legal doesn't mean you're right. Look what he says. You've heard it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Just because we've got this, this, this thing going right, now Jesus says, well, wait a minute, and anytime you look at someone with, with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. And you say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't jump the fence, I didn't jump any boundary, I didn't go over, the, I was just looking over the fence. <laughs> right? And Jesus says, no, too late. In your heart, you already have desires that are pulling you away from God's purposes. In your heart, you're already uh, you're letting yourself commit adultery within yourself, and it's your heart that matters, and your heart is chasing the wrong thing. Your desire, your mental anticipation of a physical experience outside of marriage, you've already done that, and you've already jumped the bounds. And so you're no better. You're no better. Who then will stand before the Lord? I won't go into all the statistics on cheating and marital infidelity. They'd break your heart. But listen, according to to what Jesus is saying here, I think those statistics are a little higher even than you would read because there's none of us that can stand with clean hands and a clean heart. And according to Jesus' definition, there's an awful lot of adultery going on. Let me say this also quickly. Jesus has has here remarkably anticipated the digital age. 
and our advances in technology and communication, the way we interact with one another and the way that we experience one another, we've come so far. And, and that has impacted this particular area of our lives in ways that church leaders from Jesus' time until now through the centuries could never have possibly imagined. It is this disembodied digital adultery. And it's pervasive. And it is every bit as damaging and it is every bit as corrosive and it is every bit as hard on you and on your soul. Even physiologically, the chemical reactions are the same. That's why the addiction factor is enormous. And the corrosive impact on your soul and on your human relationships, on actual human relationships with your wife, with your future wife, with your future husband, the impact on these actual human relationships is just the same. It's just as bad. It's just as damaging. And Jesus has anticipated all of it. He says it matters. Even where your eyes turn, where your heart goes. Who's better? Who's superior? Who will claim righteousness in this area? But even with all of that, there is no hint of defeatism in Jesus. He doesn't step forward and say, so there you go. Oh, well, I guess we just have to live with it and just manage it. No, what Jesus says is he makes a claim over our desires and he urges us to fight on toward purity. If you've got desires that are pulling you over the fence, that are pulling you out of the garden, that are pulling you, tugging you away from God's ways, Jesus wants you to fight on for purity. Look at this now. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now listen, now, before any of you go home this afternoon and go out to the tool shed, (laughs) start dismembering. That's not what Jesus is after here. Your body is a temple. Your body is a beautiful thing. He would never see you mar your body. What is Jesus saying? What he's saying is, listen, it matters. It's serious. It matters where you're turning your eyes. I didn't just die for your soul. I died for your body, for your mind, for all of you. And it matters that you're pulled into corrosive habits and you're feeding destructive desires. And Jesus is saying, when are you going to get serious about this? Because this is serious business. Hey, let me translate it for you. He's saying in a way, if that app on your phone causes you to sin, then you do what? Delete it. Cut it. It may be so close to you, so important to you, it feels like part of your body. Cut it out. It is better for you to lose whatever you thought you were gaining from that than to be constantly tempted to corrupt your well-being and your soul. If, If that cable channel coming into your home on the cable causes you to sin again and again, what? Cut it. It is better for you to lose whatever you thought you were gaining in that than for you to be constantly tempted to fall. If that that trip schedule, that travel schedule with work that constantly puts you in hotel rooms alone, if that is causing you to fall again and again and to get corrupted and to damage your relationships that you care about the most, change it. 
Get a roommate. Say, I've got, bring a roommate. It is better to stay up listening to some stranger from work snoring all night long <laughs> than that you get yourself into some kind of pattern where you're constantly falling away from the ones you love the most and feeling your soul getting pulled away from the Lord. Jesus says, listen now, get serious about this. He's saying, I know. I know, I understand. I know how close it is to you. I know it's in your own flesh. I know it's in your own body. I know it's intimate to you that you want these things, that you're habituated to these things. I know how normalized it has become for you to manage this sin in your life and how normalized it has become even in the the culture and the people around you. Jesus says, I know how hard it is. But listen, you can be free it's going to mean getting serious about it. Years ago, some years ago, my dad took me to Nepal, to Nepal, Kathmandu. He was there to uh, participate in an international conference on the environmental impact of trekking in the Himalaya. I was there to take up space. I don't know what I was there. I mean, I couldn't add anything to that, right? But I got to see all of that. And uh, he set us up and took us on a safari to ride elephants to ride on the backs of elephants and track tigers as you do you know <laughs> and uh, we're having this incredible experience and and they they show us to our tents and we're going to be sleeping in these tents that are right around the corner from where they're keeping the elephants and i couldn't help but notice that there was no fence in between the place where i was going to be sleeping in a tent and there was a herd of elephants. And the elephants were just, they just had a cuff around one leg that was on a chain that was connected to a metal stake that looked about that big that had been hammered into the ground. So I got pretty curious about this. And I went up to one of the, the guides and I said, what's to keep the elephant from pulling up the stake and, you know, killing me? <laughs> and he said, uh, You don't have to worry. Don't be afraid. He said, an elephant never forgets. When the elephant was small, we put a cuff on his leg, chained him to a stake. He couldn't pull it out. And now, even though the elephant is big, the elephant is strong, he will never try that chain. He will never try it. Friends, are you chained to a destructive habit or desire that is pulling you away from God and corroding your soul? Are you tied down to a habit or or to a chasing of a desire that is hurting the relationships that you love the most. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. What's the last time you tried that chain? Because Jesus is building strength in you. He is building you up for freedom and for a better way of life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, he is building up your strength, your power to walk in his ways. What's the last time you pulled on that chain? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And Jesus has a better way of life for you. Will you let him be Lord of your desires?
See, Jesus is Lord of our desire. He's Lord of my desire in the sense that, that, uh, uh, that Jesus is going to change the things that we want. You see, he's not dispassionate about these things. He knows the deep need. He knows the deep thirst. He knows the aching hunger to love and to be loved. He knows what that we want to, to, to use our bodies to, to, to feel a passion, be warm with one another, to love and be loved. He made all that. He knows all that. In fact, Jesus is uniquely qualified and uniquely invested in getting you to the true satisfaction of your deepest desires. Let me show you who the Lord is. This is who the Bible says God is. Psalm 145 says, Lord, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Listen now, he fulfills the desire of those who who fear him. This is God's promise. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Again and again and again. He knows what it is to want and he cares what you need. Proverbs thirteen twelve says this, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is, say it with me, a tree of life. A tree of life. Friends, tree of life is a huge category. This is an enormous thing. The tree of life is what we were separated from when we fell from God in our disobedience and original sin. The tree of life is what we were divorced from when we were expelled from the garden. The tree of life shows up again in Revelation. It's what we long to be reunited with in the deepest part of our souls. And this scripture says, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So I want to know, what then is a desire fulfilled? Have you ever wanted something? Have you ever desired something and, and you wanted it so badly that you planned for it, you chased after it, you worked for it, you tactically moved toward it, and finally you, you attained it, you captured it, you got it, you experienced it. And as it came to you and, you and you had it, you looked at it and you realized, well, that's, it's good, but it isn't everything that I thought it was gonna be. And it didn't satisfy me as deeply as, can anybody relate to that? Listen, that is not a desire fulfilled. That's getting what you want. Getting what you want and a desire fulfilled are two different things. You can get what you want and it it gets you nowhere, but a desire fulfilled, the Bible says it's a tree of life. It's reunion with God. It's the deepest hunger of your soul. A desire fulfilled is a tree of life when that need in your soul is finally met, when those deepest desires of your soul and hungers of what you need and who you need to be are finally fulfilled. That's when you taste the tree of life. Jesus is Lord of our desires because he intends to alter our desires. He intends to change what you want so that it's no longer about just resisting what you want because all you want are these paltry and trashy things that never satisfy. Jesus intends to change what you want and to alter your desires toward more and more godly things to make you want what is truly worth wanting. And then it's not just about resisting things that you shouldn't want. It's about diving deep into what you want because Christ has shaped your desires toward godly things. That's what it means to have Jesus as Lord of your desires.
It means you say, Lord, here's what I want, and I trust you with it. Here's who I am, and I trust you with it. You shape my desires. You make me to want things that are worthy of wanting. Friends, in fact, that's what we're doing every time we gather in worship. We lift up godly things. We acclaim the things of God. We sing of good and beautiful and glorious things. And we see Jesus and his name and his glory lifted up just a little higher, just a little brighter, just a little more beautiful than the things that we've been chasing all along the way. You know, you sing with a little more passion when you know God is using your song to change your heart and to reunite your deepest desires to the fruit of the tree of life, don't you? Well, I close with this thought as the praise team comes up to join. Friends, there is a place of freedom. There's a tree of life. And as you allow the Lord to be the Lord of your desires, he's the one who knows how to carry you home. You remember, you might remember this story. Remember when Jesus was, he met a woman caught in adultery and the Pharisees threw this woman before him. I'm among those who, by the way, think that whole thing was a conspiracy. The Pharisees, they wanted to trap this woman. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to test him. They grabbed this woman. Why do I think it's a conspiracy? Because where's the guy in the equation? It takes two, right? But here's this woman and Jesus uh, is, sees her there and he sees the people and the people, all they want of Jesus is for him to kill her, to step forward and destroy her. And where's the guy? He's probably in the crowd holding a stone. But remember what Jesus said. He turned to the crowd and he said in John 8, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He says, who's superior? Who, who's got this all straight? You've got it all together. Who's, who's in this area so confident that they can step forward? Great. You step forward on your self-righteousness and begin the condemnation. And what happens? This woman is looking down on the ground. All she hears is, one stone after another, falling from their hands, hitting the ground, thud, thud. Eventually she looks up, she sees Jesus. Jesus, he says to her, verse eight, uh, John 8, 10, 11. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She looked up to Jesus. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. No more shame. There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's wholeness. And from now on, he said, you want to say that with me? From now on, sin no more. Why would you want that? Why would you chase that? 
when you've got grace, when you've got forgiveness, when you can taste again the tree of life. And how could Jesus step forward and offer that kind of grace? How could Jesus step forward and declare that scandalous forgiveness of a woman caught in adultery? How could he do that? Because Jesus knows there's a place of freedom for her and for all of us. Jesus knows that there is a way to be reunited with the tree of life. He knows that because he knows he himself will be the one to make the way when he ascends the tree of curse when he is pinned to the tree of death when he is fixed to the cross of Calvary and he pours out his blood and he pours out his life to cover all of our sins he knows that there will be a way for all grace to be converted for all sins to be forgiven and for this woman before him to taste the fruit of the tree of life. No more shame, no more condemnation, only grace and forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ has done. Friends, as you follow Jesus, as you trust in him, who's superior? Who would like to stand before the Lord? We turn to him and we know his grace and we know his forgiveness, and we know his love, and we know that because of Jesus, the tree of death has become the tree of life. Can you trust him? Can you trust this one with your deepest and most intimate and most personal desires and needs? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've demonstrated, your love, your grace. Lord, your clear teaching, your, your forgiveness, and also your call to a fullness of life, to the tree of life. Lord, there isn't a part of our lives that you are too ashamed or embarrassed to look upon. There isn't a part of our lives that you lack courage to enter into. And so for us, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to trust you in every single part of our lives. Be Lord of my desires and guide me home to you. In Jesus' name, and the people said. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.